Greetings, Amigaps, and Top Teners everywhere. If this is your first Top 10, welcome here. If you're coming back to us, welcome back. I am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me today, as he is every week, is your still lusciously bearded co-host, Michael. This week, as we do every week, one of us will be bringing a topic to the table. This week, it's Mike's, and I don't know anything about it. I have no idea what it is. He's let slip a few hints, so I think I might know the direction we're going, but we'll see. He's going to provide a top 10 version of that list, at which point we will vigorously debate. By the end of this episode, we will have come to the definitive version of this top 10 list. Michael, what will we be discussing this week? All right, K-Dog. So I think what you're referring to when you say I've let slip a few things, I mentioned to you that the topic we'll be discussing this week is timely, but it was accidentally timely. That's the important thing to remember. I've been thinking a lot about this, this topic, and it just so happened that this past weekend brought this topic to the fore. So we are recording right now January 22nd of the year 2019, the year of our Lord, Yes, <laughs> which is just two days, I believe. What is it today? Tuesday, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's Tuesday. So this past Sunday, we had one of the greatest days of football in my memory. I mean, it was the... It was, championship sunday so we had the afc championship game featuring the kansas city chiefs and the new england patriots that was the 640 kickoff but the 305 kickoff was the new orleans saints and the los angeles rams so two great games both decided late and both containing a lot of controversial rulings so the the worst call in the history of sports i think probably it's it's hard to be sure, but I think it's safe to say that this will be on the list. Was the missed pass interference call in the Saints-Rams game. Ended up pretty directly costing the Saints a chance to play in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And it was it was egregious. So this was a lucky stroke that everybody right now is thinking about bad calls. I want to talk about a slightly different issue. It's bad rules. Huh. In all of sports. Whoa. So the bat, so the rule that people are revisiting, which we will discuss at some point during this list, is the possibility of reviewing all plays in football, including potentially calls like pass interference. So people are all speculating, what is the rule change that could have prevented this travesty of justice from happening? Something like that. Would it be a legitimate process to protest a game? What is the rule change that could fix this? So I want to talk about rules in sports that are just tremendously screwed up. Any sport? Any sport. Professional? No, not necessarily, because there are certain cases where there are rules that are at the amateur level that are different than the pro level that I think are worth pointing out. Okay. So here's here are the two criteria that I'm mainly judging on. So first and most importantly is egregiousness of, of this stupid rule. So how stupid is this rule slash like how much does it impact the game? Ah. So that's, I, that's sort of a bundle. Those are really two different things, but I'm sort of bundling them as one. It's like how egregiously stupid and how egregious is, is the impact of this thing? The other thing is how easy would it be to fix? And I think that that's where we get into the sticky situations. Yeah. Is there a lot of rules that we all feel and sense are screwed up, but that would be really hard to actually fix in practice? 
What are your thoughts on something that, like, is an issue, but there's no rule against it? So, like, stupid non-rules. That, that would, I would consider that in this category. Okay. I don't know if I have any there, but that would definitely be in play. I'm thinking of, I'm just because I can think of one right off the top of my head, but we can discuss in more detail whether or not that fits. And that might just be an outlier. Yeah. And one thing I want to note about this list is I actually don't have honorable mentions. And the reason I don't have honorable mentions is because I was afraid to Google this topic. So when you and I do research on, <laughs> on topics like this, I, we usually end up on topics where it's not so obvious that there would be a top 10 list. And so we're not afraid to bump into them on the internet. Yeah. This one, I had a feeling if I Googled it, I was going to bump into a bunch of top 10s. So we stayed away. So the, the, I don't have as many as I might usually, because I really just pulled this out of my ass. Excellent. I really like the the disclaimer. Yeah, I want it to be pure in my methods, but that means there are fewer things. Okay. All right, so let's let's kick it off. So number 10 is a rule from that great league, the National Football League. The uh, NFL, for short. The, the NFL, for short. Yeah. The No Fun League. Yeah. So this is the rule in which... A, a runner with the ball fumbles the ball into the pylon at the front of the goal line, and that is ruled a touchback. The other team gets the ball then at their own twenty-yard line. Okay. So, so this scenario. So, okay. So let's yes. say I'm I am Kyle, a yep. uh, running back, and I am yep. running towards the end zone. Yep. And. Th- through some reason, Michael G or Michael A, uh, uh, safety comes up behind and punches the ball out, let's say. And I th- throw the ball forward. I'm like at the two yard line and mm-hmm. the football hits the orange pylon at the corner of the front, the front of the end zone. That's what's happened yep. here. Okay. Yes. So what I really like about the scenario you presented is that you've presented the logical scenario, which is that the ball has been fumbled before the touching of the pylon. And that's, and so I'll get oh. to why, but, but this is why this rule is as low on this list as it is, because there is a logical basis for this rule, which is that if a person were to fumble the ball through the back of the end zone, yeah. It's only logical that the other team would get a touchback. There really is no remedy for this other than that, because it would allow the offensive team to just sort of do a fumble ruski play. Like there's, there are a lot of weird outcomes if you don't give the ball to the defense in the case of a fumble through the back of the end zone. So if we follow logically from that, we have to say that if you fumble into the pylon, the same thing has to happen because the pylon is, for our purposes, the end zone. It's It acts exactly the same way as the end zone, so we'd have to follow that that rule must be the same. So in your scenario where somebody fumbles the ball from like the two-yard line into the pylon, I'm with you. This is a good rule. So where things get a little wonky is that this same scenario, the same rule applies even if you don't fumble it from a distance and it hits the pylon, which I think we agree is a it, the touchback is a reasonable outcome from yeah, that. Yeah, agreed. But it also happens if you as a runner are reaching for the pylon and you tap the pylon with the ball, which absent any other information is a touchdown. Yeah. But you are deemed by the referee not to be in total control of the ball at the time you tap the pylon. <laughs> 
And where this gets especially problematic is that now all scoring plays are reviewed. Yeah. So you have a scenario where a player scores what appears to be a legitimate touchdown, but on this close review, they ball was sort of wobbling. Not only do they not get the touchdown, the ball actually goes to the other team. If the so that okay, so then like, but like if the if the ball is like out of the player's possession, yep, and like it's recovered by the other team. That this makes sense, right? Because that's like kind of what a touchback is. But like you're saying, there's a scenario where a player could lunge for it, have like a yep. wobbly handle on the ball, and then still come up with the ball. And it's, it's they could end the play with the ball in their hands. If as they're diving towards the pylon, it just wobbles enough, hits this... the pylon, and then they go out of bounds. Say. Are we are we going to talk about this more? Because to me. <laughs> Football at times is unwatchable. Any time that they do a slow mo replay, and this is true in the professional and the collegiate sport, any time that we're like analyzing at at the femtosecond level whether or yeah. not a player has control of the ball, I just want to, I just want to tear my own feet off as an excuse to not yeah. watch it. It's so, it's so terrible because, like. We listen to Bill Simmons all the time, and he has this great take where he just says, we should just go to a bar where no one's invested in either team and asks an entire bar of sports fans, was that a catch? And if they say yes in real time, then it's a catch. Like, why are we doing this? Like, this wobbly, yeah. like, not control, is there control or not, is so frustrating. And this, like, it's it's really, it's frustrating when it's, is this a catch or not a catch? Like, in the middle of the field... But this scenario is significantly worse, and this rule <laughs> seems to a really strange way to punish having a little bit of wobbliness on like your one-handed grasp of a football as you Absolutely. face as you face first leap for a pylon. It's crazy. Now here's the reason it's not higher. So, I, and I also just want to note this happened famously last year uh, to the tight end Austin Safarian Jenkins for the Jets against the Pats. Great name. It, it ruled in the Patriots' favor, and I was, of course, very happy about that, but this was complete horseshit. Here's the problem. There's no fix. The fix, the f- because theoretically this could happen at a speed observable to the human eye, so just changing to the Bill Simmons replay rule doesn't fix this because it could theoretically just happen in, in real time. The only fix would be some change to this rule. The problem is if we treat the front pylon as being equivalent to some out-of-bounds portion of the end zone, which we have to, we can't change this rule because then you can fumble through the back of the end zone and not have it be a touchback. And we agree that is a good outcome. There is no real fix to this. It's just can't a you just stupid... Cha- can't you just change the way it works depending on where the ball enters or exits the end zone? Not really, because it's the the pylon is a is a like physical representation of the boundary line of the end zone of the front it's of not, the end zone. This front slash side. It's not. It's not really because it's the exact corner. But it's the front corner. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I know. Like why can't we distinguish? Like it's pretty clear which is the front and which is the back. Like what? What if we made it such that if you fumble while hitting the pylon, you get the ball at the one. If you if you end up with the ball. It could be. I propose I think, this. I think maybe we move this up a little bit on the list because I think that that's a not unreasonable solution. I just have a problem with now distinguishing between that and other portions of 
the end zone boundary line. I I just don't know if I have as much respect for the sanctity of the the of the end zone boundaries as as maybe you do. And I also yeah. have less knowledge of the sport of football than you do. So this could be an extremely ignorant take that you're being polite about. No, 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 I'm not that polite. You're no, I think you're I think you're making a reasonable point. I think I maybe am being too rigid in my interpretation of how we define the end zone, but I do think I'm wary. I'm wary in all of these rules of I'm I'm so fucking smart. Me in my stupid basement, look, deciding how to legislate sports and introducing perverse outcomes. Two things. One, that is exactly what we're doing. Like we are two yes. guys in our <laughs> living rooms in our fucking pajamas, like. <laughs> picking apart rules that professionals have put together. That's why we're here. Yeah. The second thing is, I just don't like. I don't. I just don't have that much respect for like. Like, I don't believe in the infallibility of the rules makers because we just saw. Like, yes. <laughs> we, we just saw. We can talk about it more later, but I don't know. This is just some outside the end zone thinking. That's all it is. But I like that. Let's uh, let's move on to number nine. I like the way this is going so far. <laughs> Yeah, slowly. Yeah. Um, so number nine is one of the most egregiously stupid rules in sports, assuming I understand it correctly, <laughs> because there's a chance I don't. I actually consulted an NHL expert, so good for, not a friend of the pies, I don't think he's ever listened to it, but John, <laughs> his cousin Tucker played semi-professional hockey, so and he's a huge hockey fan, so I consulted him at work as to what this actual rule is, and he, even he didn't know. Now... We can look at this two ways. One is, I might just get this rule wrong. The other way is that there is such a weird rule in hockey, which generally speaking has very simple rules, that even a hockey superfan and former semi-professional player doesn't understand it. So this is the rule whereby an offsides non-call can be challenged until the next whistle. So if... The offensive team enters the offensive zone and play continues for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 40, 50, a minute, whatever it is, and they eventually score a goal. The other team can challenge, hey, they were offsides. Okay. And basically they can go back and review that entire length of time for an offsides penalty or for not a penalty, just an offsides violation. And this even includes if the offensive team, we believe this, I'm not 100% sure because the rule book is unclear, but I, my recollection is that this is the case. The offensive team can enter the offensive zone, okay. exit, re-enter, and you can still just basically fish for a possible offside. Even if a second opportunity to commit an offside. Yes, even if a second entry has oh occurred. Oh my god. Now. That sounds terrible. Now, now like I said... <laughs> I'm sure somebody listening knows that that's not the case. I am certain I have seen this happen. The NHL has taken an important step to legislate this, which is why it appears this low, because this is an egregiously dumb rule. That's, that's fucking silly. But I could under- it's. Yeah. I could even understand if you, let's say the offensive team enters the zone and you don't choose to challenge it right then because the play is still going on. And let's say it's on... Yep. It's like a two-on-one or something, and they score. Yes, and you cannot challenge act in, any, the, in the act yeah. of a play. Okay. Yep. 
the concept that like you could just hum de dum, let it go, and then have so theor- like is there no limit? So like I could wait like a like twenty minutes, and let's say no whistles get called, and it goes an entire period. I could theoretically challenge. Every single time that you cl- cross the offsides line. That's in- my understanding. In practical terms, it play doesn't continue for that long, but I, mm. my understanding is theoretically... That, uh, no, I know you know that, but I'm yeah. saying, uh, theoretically, I believe that that is the case. Well, that's a... That, you know what that is? Stupid. That's a stupid rule. <laughs> now, the NHL has taken a major step to legislate that out, which is that now, if you challenge an offsides call... And get it wrong, you don't just lose a timeout, which are pretty unimportant in hockey. That was what it used to be. You actually are charged a penalty. Oh. So you have to be really sure that. Yes, you are now assessed a minor penalty. Wow. And now, then, and then you just pick a random guy to sit it. <laughs> I don't know. I assume the guy has to be on the ice, but that's not always the case. There are times, like if you're charged a major, uh, and you have to send in somebody to serve like a concurrent minor. You can pick anybody. So I'm not sure exactly how they assess this. So they've worked to fix this. Point is, a couple big NHL fans have no idea what this rule is. Yeah. The NHL itself saw how screwed up this was and took steps to fix it. And they've gone a fair way to fixing it. But there have been times in the modern NHL when the the referees were just going over minutes of film to find one offsides to negate a major goal. That's, that's silly. And not, that like is not only doesn't like fall in line with the spirit of the game. It also just ruins the on ice product because that, yep, that sounds miserable. Well, and I will get, we won't actually get to this because just review generally the think about the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl and think about the fact that they score the winning touchdown and literally nobody celebrates Tom Brady's telling people to get off the field just to be sure that they actually scored even though it was a reasonably clear touchdown it just it takes away like I know when I watch football a long pass gets completed I'm just looking for the laundry I'm looking is there a flag is there a flag oh okay but it, it dampens your excitement and it does but, like, it's probably, well, in this case, it's not, but we can talk more. Like, getting plays right is ultimately probably more important. Yes. But, anyways. I agree. Number eight. All right. Number eight. This is one that I just don't know why this rule exists. Uh, it's the one-foot catch in college football. Hmm. So, the rule in professional football is that in order to be awarded a catch, you have to get two feet down inbounds. So assuming this is a catch near the sidelines, you have to get two feet down with possession and survive the ground. Basically, you got to catch the ball, tap your feet twice, and you got to not lose control of the ball as you go to the ground. Everything about that rule is the same in college, except you only need to get one foot down. Which seems like a small distinction, but is such an incredible, such an incredibly different way that you can catch a football. Huge. It is an enormous difference between getting one foot down and two. Just anybody who's wondering about that, like, try to, try to feel your abs as you try to do that, as you try to, like, rip one foot down in the middle of the air. It's, it's a very different thing, and it's a nod to amateurism that doesn't exist anymore. I, I, you and I both went to a school with big time college football. The guys who played on our varsity football team were 
physically speaking, professional athletes. Those guys, yeah, y- yes, they're the wide receivers on our football team were not Terrell Owens. They were not AJ Green, Michael Thomas, whoever you want to pick. They were not them. But they were not us playing flag football either. Those guys can get two feet down. And if they don't, they should not be given a catch. I feel like, I feel like this is more to give quarterbacks a break than receivers in a way, because the window you can throw to is much larger. But it's definitely both. Way larger. That's yeah. a good, very good point. Like, but way larger. It's crazy. Well, like the height thing, like you could throw a ball realistically an extra foot high, like higher than you could if you needed to throw it someone with two feet down because you can get. But I think the important distinction and what makes this a stupid rule is that this is not a rule that's rooted. It's not footed one or two feet (laughs) in safety. So like I could understand. Yes. If you wanted to protect a college athlete that's not getting paid, whatever to do this, (laughs) like. Like, you can't, you know, you can't hit a certain way, or you can't yep. whatever. But, like, really, I mean, there's no, it's not like it's safer to catch a ball with one foot than it is to catch it with two inbounds, is it? No, I think what you're kind of alluding to is, like, take the targeting rule in college football, for example. Yeah. College football, they they legislate hits to the head much more harshly than does the the NFL. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for both leagues, but it's especially a good thing when you're talking about amateur athletes, at least amateur in name. But I think what we can agree is that these amateur athletes are not amateur in terms of skill. And so dumbing down the rule book for no reason other than because they're theoretically lesser is pointless to me. Are we going to talk about a similar rule in college versus professional basketball, or is now a good time to talk about that? We are going to talk about a similar rule. I assume we're thinking of the same one, but we are probably going to talk about that. Okay, yeah. cool. So we have just done numbers 10 through 8. Kyle, you know what that means? Uh, if, I, if I wish I had some kind of, I don't know, just like a an audio, an audio, audio cue so that I knew if there was something we needed to do right now. Hey, Allegis, should we play some music right now? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Thanks, Allegis and Kev. <laughs> Thanks, Allegis and Kev. You guys are the best. Love it. Did you prepare a not top three? I've got a couple uh, that I really like. So how are you defining this? Because my immediate reaction was a rule that... <laughs> I can only think of one. It's a rule that seems like it's fucking stupid, but is actually a really good rule. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I-, I was doing like rules that I think are great. But yes, yeah, specifically rules that I think are great that seem kind of stupid on the face of them. Okay. Shoot. So I I actually only have two written here. So one is the passed ball, like the drop third strike rule. <laughs> I think that's a rule that some people find annoying. They don't like that if you swing and miss on a third strike in baseball, but it goes past the catcher, you can then go to first base. I love this rule because I think it's it's really important that pitchers not feel comfortable throwing wild pitches because you risk slowing down play more if pitchers can just be diving curveballs into the dirt all the time. But I also think it it just keeps them a little bit more honest in their pitching and forces more balls to go into the zone, which is a good thing. I- I like it because it makes a 3-2 count feel yep. like it, 
if it weren't for this rule, it's not like batters get on base all that often because of it, but it's probably because of this rule, right? Like, right. Like, yes, exactly. So they don't directly get on through application of this rule. Yeah, it's more preventative. Like, it prevents, like, the stupid, like, throw it at his back ankle, like, snapper that, yeah, like, you're definitely, like, you can throw that on, one, two, or two, two, and it, like, makes a three, two feel a little bit like it's back in the batter's favor if you've managed to get it that far. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's a good one. The only, (laughs) at at a professional level, it's great. It sucks in anything, like, lower than college because, (laughs) that's really, because realistically, like, if you, like, let's, let's move this along and there, there's a lot of instances where someone's on first base and they don't have no, right to be there <laughs> yeah some 16 year old asshole experimenting with a curveball yeah throwing it into the dirt every time yeah all right so the other one i want to mention which is one of my favorite rules and was tested sorely this weekend i love that you cannot review penalties in the nfl i think it would be a enormous mistake to allow reaction to this game to be to introduce the review of penalties into the NFL. Now, I I will note one... I've heard people say that maybe they should only allow it in crunch time, so like the last two, two minutes, minutes or in the playoffs. Okay, I sort of get what you're saying. I have a major problem with prioritizing certain parts of the season or certain parts of the game over others because I think, factually speaking... There is no difference to the waiting. You get seven points for a touchdown, an extra point, whether that happens when the game starts or when the game ends. So I think waiting it that way is dumb. I think the Patriots will tell you, given the fact that they had to go to Arrowhead Stadium this past week, that losing in week 15 or whatever it was to the Dolphins, that felt just as shitty as it would have felt to lose in week one. It was a problem. It kept them from having home field advantage. So... I don't think that applying a rule only for a specific time of the game or a specific time of the season makes a ton of sense. I've heard that as a possible fix. I get it, and I won't be pissed if that's something that they think about. But as a broad-based rule, like allowing penalties to be reviewed, that is a can of worms we do not want to open. I tend... I. I generally agree with you. I think that, like, with this play specifically, (laughs) like, the way to fix this play is, like, this play is such an outlier because it's not a play that was questionable that, like, if you really yeah. looked at it closely, you could have fixed it. Like, that's a it, really important distinction. Because, like, 99 times, if, if this play ha- happens 100 times, 99 times, it's two penalties. Like, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> if the you, ref is doing that thing where he goes, they've declined the the interference, they're going to take the... Yeah. You know, target or whatever. You, if you haven't seen this play, the, the play that basically ended the Saints Rams game, watch it because I expected to watch it as like a moderate NFL fan. I was like, I, you know, I oftentimes am a little hung up on the intricacies of pass interference and I wonder if this will be, <laughs> if this will be obvious to me. I watched it. <laughs> oh my God. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> so anyways. It, so long story short, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think this means you should be able to review any damn play because football will become even 
less watchable than it is sometimes. But whatever it means, like if it needs to be like an extra ref on the sideline, like a pass interference ref that is like looking for this kind of thing, fine. If you're going to do that, though, I agree with you as well. Let's make it every game. The NFL can afford to pay an extra ref a game, right? Like, no, they can't. No, they couldn't even afford to have full time refs until recently. I actually, I actually, so Bill, Bill Belichick has actually raised that point like an asshole he always does about more cameras in the end zones. And he's like, what, we can't afford? He actually, like, in his proposal said something like, we can't afford the extra five grand. But I, so I actually think that more than anything, this argues for the need for protesting the result of a game to be an actual thing. I think that, you're talking about opening up a real can of worms there too. And I grasp how logistically complicated it would be. Yada, yada, yada. I maybe, maybe we're talking about, I I I think that the saints, I think the saints have legitimate grounds to protest that I recognize the problems, but but that seems to me a better fix. I don't know. Cause in this game specifically, like you could make the case that, the Saints take three knees, they kick their field goal, the Rams have 10 seconds left. Like, like, we can't, we can't, unless it's like a play, like, that happens as time expires, and it literally could have gone either way. If there's any time left in the game, I feel like you can't really, and what are you gonna do? Like, replay the last two minutes, or last minute of a game? I, I, and also, as every New Orleans Saints fan in the world would hate, or anyone really would hate to hear this, but like, this is also, like, why we love sports, right? Like, I'm not saying yeah. that this was a good thing, and if this happened to the Tigers, I would <laughs> I would have an aneurysm. But, like, yeah. at the same time, to, to overturn a game that the Rams did win in overtime would be would be a lot. So Right. But, and my final, the final thing I think we should leave with, just because it's topical, yeah. is do not let our friends Drew Brees and Sean Payton off the hook. What? The yeah. actual fuck was Sean Payton doing throwing on first down with a minute 53 left with the Rams having like one timeout left? What are you doing? The game's over if you run that ball. That was so idiotic. I, so They're definitely getting off the not... hook because of this. And, yeah. and it's, it's due to them because it's so, it's so insane. But at the yeah. same time, like, anyways. Yeah, what are you doing, man? The only other, All right. uh, the only, I have one here for the not top yeah. three. The, the one I was thinking of was the infield fly rule. Cause, Great rule. That's a great example. It's a really good rule. You gotta have it, but it it sure is confusing, and it and it seems stupid. The biggest one I can remember was like the two thousand, yeah, the two, Cardinals, right? The Cardinals versus Braves, like two thousand whatever wild card game. Yeah, but it's a good rule. It prevents the only issue with the rule is it's bad branding because it's not actually the infield fly rule. Yeah, well, I mean, if it. Well, what do you mean? Cause, cause it can be, it can be far, it can, 60, 70 feet into the outfield. It just We've has to, seen that called. Yeah. It's more like the can of corn rule. You should just call it like the, <laughs> the prevents base runner catch 22 rule. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, there's no better branding. It's just, it, the problem is at least to some asshole being like, man, that yeah, wasn't in the infield. Yeah. And you're like, all right, people. One time, Cam and I went to a Tigers game, and Cam was just pretending to not know anything about baseball. He'd be like, Kyle, how come they don't hit it over the fence every time? Like, if they can just walk around the bases. Well, Cam, it's not always that easy. He's, like, asking all these, like, like he doesn't understand the game at all. And then, like, in the seventh inning, he's probably really annoying everyone around us. And in the seventh inning, I'm like, of course. 
I'm like, how does the infield fly rule work? And Cam just like <laughs> dives into like a lengthy and articulated explanation of the infield fly rule. Man, we thought we were funny. All right, so that's enough <laughs> of this segment. All right, uh, so number seven is a, is a good is another baseball rule, but this is a really dumb one. This is if the game is not considered official, it restarts. So. <laughs> If there is a, if there's like a 17 hour rain delay in the third inning, and then the teams come out for the fourth for five minutes after everybody's gotten cold and everybody hates everything, and then they just decide that they can't finish the game, nothing happened. Nothing in that game happened. Now, so I want to take us to the extreme example. Barry Bonds. He's got 699 home runs. This game is played. It's the, Fourth inning, he hits the 700th home run. Game is put in a delay. They come back out for the second half of the fourth inning. He gets struck by lightning and dies. Game ends. He doesn't have 700 home runs. No. That game is not official. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like Now, actually, I think most people would view that as a good outcome, that he didn't get 700 home runs. Not that he died. But <laughs> this is not... That is so stupid. You can't just pretend that this... However many innings didn't exist. And the reason this is especially so stupid, the fix, Kyle, the fix. (laughs) Just keep the game going when you restart because here is the thing about the MLB. Yeah. They never allow a game to not get finished. MLB doesn't seem to understand that it, it does occasionally happen, but the MLB really hates to give people less baseball, even though all indications are people want less baseball. This is a pretty simple fix, and it allows them to give people less baseball, which is what they want. Well, what's especially weird is that, like, it, like the reverse is is always, it's like you said, it's always, like, if we, if we play a game, if the Tigers play the Red Sox, it's... And your Red Sox are pummeling the Tigers. It's 19 to 1 <laughs> in the, like, eighth. And then all of a sudden the, the sky opens up and it rains every, everyone out of Fenway. No, you're saying that they, they end it. Yeah, they, they, so I think what the point you're trying to make is they're so cavalier about ending the game and not caring about the integrity of like a full nine inning game. The moment you've reached this magical threshold, that game could have real bearing. Yeah. And they just end it, which is wild yeah. that on one yeah, yeah, end, yeah. There's, they have such respect for the sanctity of a nine-inning baseball yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other end, they're like, ah, we played seven innings. Who cares that they're coming back and this could have a real effect on the wild card race? Over. Even though we played five and a third. Yeah. It's so stupid. Pretty arbitrary. That, yeah. That is a really dumb rule. <laughs> What's number six? So, that's a dumb one. So another one that came up recently in the uh, NFL playoffs was the guys ignore the ball and so the play is over rule. So this happened in the Chicago Bears versus the Eagles game in the divisional round. So basically the rule, or I'm sorry, in the wild card round. So basically the rule is if something funky happens like a fumble and guys on the field don't react quickly enough, the play is just over. It just ends. So this happens every once in a while. You'll see a running back fumble the ball, and people just kind of don't notice he's fumbled it. And the ball is just sitting on the turf, and then eventually the ref just kind of blows the whistle, and that's it. Now, the reason that this is not, like, number one, because this is such a dumb rule, is that the fix is easy. There's no rule fix. If you're a player, just pick up the goddamn ball and just 
play like you're playing. Keep going. I just like can't imagine a scenario where I'm a football, like I'm a professional football player, and I see a football on the ground, and I don't just fucking grab that football. <laughs> like, just pick it up, take a quick. And the other thing is. You know most guys in the field are not going to be chasing you, so if if this is a scenario where you have to finish the play well, by returning it for a touchdown, jog in. Well, take, to be fair, guess. you do see this a lot where, like, someone fumbles and they're down, but, like, it's not clear to people on the field that they're down. So some, like, some guy will, like, pick it up and start, like, running, and then some other guy will run behind him like he's going to block, and then they, like, keep looking back to see if they're going to get called back, yeah. and they almost always are. So, like, I would say most player's tendency is to pick up the football and start running if they don't know one way or the other yeah but it is a dumb rule that if nobody does because i because i want the scenario where like everyone's just waiting and the players like go to line up or something and the ref's like huh huh did you hear a whistle and then well that so and so this kind of happened so this sort of happened. So I, my understanding is basically the moment the whistle blows, that's it. Like there's no, I don't think you can review a whistled, anything that happens after a whistle in football, which is a, which is a weird rule. I'm kind of okay with it, but it's not on this list. No, it's not a spoiler, but I think that's basically the rule. And so that just reinforces the idea you have to play through the whistle. But this did happen in the Bears-Eagles game. Anthony Miller, who's a tight end for the Bears, had the ball, and he was stripped by Craven LeBlanc, who's a cornerback for the Eagles. Great name. And basically, the ball just sat there, and nobody did anything. But, like, it was very clear that that ball had been stripped, and the Eagles could easily have just picked it up, but they just didn't. And the play just ended. It was so stupid. I think the I think the easiest fix for the refs is to just like really wait to blow the whistle or make eyes at the guys like come come on, like play's not over. Ball's live. Or scream, ball's live. Like there are kind of simple fixes for this. Sort of a perverse outcome that everybody just stands there with their hands on their hips, which really did happen recently. I, I understand the logic behind this rule, and I think that the fix is primarily on the players, but man, it's a stupid, stupid situation. It's a stupid situation, but I actually don't think it's that dumb of a rule, because, like, the right thing happens. Like, if no one wants the football, and, like, everyone thinks that it's just, like, an incomplete pass or a tackle, and no one goes for it, then, like, I guess that is, like, kind of what should happen. But, I don't know. I... <laughs> I, I guess. I just think people have been conditioned. I think the players have been conditioned into this mm. by the idea that if they don't react quickly and aggressively enough, the moment has passed. Like, I think their feeling is that the moment passes too quickly. And I think if the ref started to condition them that the moment hasn't passed until I look at you in the eyes and whistle and be like, you're a dumbass, that ball was yours to pick up. I think you could recondition the players to to not react so slowly. I wish I'd seen this. I missed that game, unfortunately. That would have been fun to yeah. watch. It was very strange. It was a strange situation. So number five, another NFL rule. The NFL I, is taking a beating here, but I think largely because it's the most complicated sport that exists. It's so, it's so subjective. It's, it's, and it's not its fault. I do think that the NFL, like some of the rules that the NFL has are just brilliant. Like the, the downs and the down and distance setup is just so perfectly calibrated for excitement. Yeah. But it necessarily adds a layer of complexity that's kind of unique. Uh, so this one is nothing to do with the rules of the game. It's the NFL being incredibly tone deaf and stupid. Just nothing new. The cleats. 
the, the, the penalizing and fining guys for, you can get penalized, like on the field for having cleats that they consider inappropriate. <laughs> we could spend an hour talking about all the ways in which the NFL is completely screwing up its brand, but this is like such an easy, easy, easy victory. Like, why are we not taking the points here, NFL? Like, it just, why not? But, I think baseball does the same thing. Like, you can't really wear wild cleats in baseball. Why? Because yeah. you're going to distract somebody? Cut me some slack. Like, it's for the kids. Cut. It's for the kids. Yeah. Why aren't we letting players express themselves or, like, like have, God forbid, a player, like, can brand himself and <laughs> make some money off his own shoes or something? I, I don't know. Like, this whole... This whole enterprise of professional sports is here for people to be entertained and cool, cool. Like I can, and if you don't want to have people putting some like you know inappropriate stuff on cleats, then censor them. But like, why are we, why are we making people wear like? That's why. That's what's what. In basket, look at basketball. Like guys are wearing their own shoes, and it's like. So basketball is is the perfect example. That's part of why this is so high. The fix is easy. Look at the NBA. The or, NBA says, yeah, whatever. Or any professional soccer league in the world. Yep. And the NBA now more explicitly says a whatever. Like, they actually expanded the the allowed cle- uh, sneakers that you can wear on the court to basically just be like, yeah, you do whatever you want. Now, I understand the NFL. They have clearly botched everything to do with politics in basically the history of the NFL, but especially recently. So I can understand if there are limit cases in which they want to say, like, you can't have political slogans or you can't, like you said, have curse words. I would actually kind of we don't I think we'd all survive if that were a rule. But in <laughs> what like in what reasonable world can you tell me Antonio Brown can't put like stripes on his cleats? Antonio Brown, even though it sounds like he's kind of a jackass now, is one of the most entertaining people on the face of the earth. And is a terrific football player, and those two things go hand in hand. He's entertaining because he's terrific, and he's partially terrific because he's entertaining. Like, people, his brand and his people's perception of him as a football player is enhanced by how much they enjoy watching him as a person. And a big part of that is his style, and we'd get more of it if he had signature shoes. I I think this is something that baseball should have done a long time ago because it's yep. turned into a sport of old people and nerds and like like how much more fun would a kid have watching Bryce Harper or Mike Trout or Manny Machado if those guys had cleats like can you imagine if Ken Griffey Jr. had cleats like every kid on the fucking planet in 1998 would be wearing those cleats like yeah and and sure some of these guys have endorsement deals where they have like a cleat but it's not it's not no it's not no one knows like like you see that like oh it's a Bryce Harper cleat it's a black, it's a black cleat with, you know, it's not, whatever. It's the cleat he wears, but it's not distinctly his. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's a, it's a silly thing. And it's not like, I don't, I think it's not like you change this rule and then NFL and MLB players are like, eh, I kind of like these team issued cleats. Like this would change yeah. things. Yeah, they'd have, they'd have fun with it. It's a real travesty. I hate seems, when guys seems, have fun. Seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, alright, so number four is a rule that I just, this is just one of the most inexplicable rules in the history of rules to me. It's the, the rule where most. inside, yeah, in, inside two minutes, 
at the end of a basketball game, if you call a timeout after the other team scores, they move the ball up to midcourt for you to inbound it. Why? I, what? Why? This makes no sense. <laughs> this this is completely inexplicable. It makes no sense. I, if there's one thing that the last two minutes of NBA basketball has enough of, other than interruptions of play, it's drama. Everybody, refer, what it's people talk about like crunch time, two minutes. Like, fourth quarter. Basketball is very, very well known for how competitive those those last two minutes of the game are. It doesn't need a little extra dose of competition by doing this. Because that's the only logical basis I can imagine, is that you'd say, well... You know, it allows for more last-minute buzzer-beater shots to be attempted. Yeah, but, like... It doesn't need it. It works both ways, too, though. Because, like, if you have... If you score at the last second at one end of the court and then all of a sudden like the other team has a chance to to rebut like you've you've kind of like dampened the you know the exciting part of that first bucket so like you know what i mean like it can work both ways oh yeah absolutely yeah that's like that would be like i don't know like like you get to start like 10 yards further up if you like call a timeout like just after someone kicks an extra point or like you I don't know. You start with a man on first. Like, like, why are we like giving someone? It's just like an arbitrary advantage that doesn't make any sense. And when put into other sports contexts, like I just did, it it's it's wild to even like conceive. It something really like that. stands out how stupid it is in other sports the way you just described it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that makes no sense, Mike. Yeah, and the fix it's really easy. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> that's an easy one to fix. Very easy one to fix. All right, so that brings us to number three because I have no honorable mentions, uh, and I figure you can do some if you've got any. I thought you might have a couple baseball ideas. I wouldn't be surprised if you had some baseball ones. <laughs> almost, um, almost everything I have written down is a baseball thing. But I figured. So I was kind of thinking uh, we'll finish the list, and then I'd like you to kind of run through some baseball ones too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this one. This one's tough. We're wading into very murky waters here. Number three is just everything about the term football move. So for those of you who do not know, this is one of the critical components to a catch is somebody establishes possession, whatever the hell that means, of a football and makes a football move. Kyle, what the fuck is a football move? <laughs> this reminds me of um quick aside when we were young we lived across the street from a kid named luke who was extremely athletic and we played outside a lot and we'd play catch all the time with various balls baseballs footballs whatever but he felt the need to specify like which type of catch we were going to play so he would say like do you want to play some baseball catch and like no way yeah, he'd be like, you want to play some football catch? Sounds like an alien. This is like a Russian sleeper. Isn't that a weird thing to do? And, like, it actually makes perfect sense because, like, if, if he says, hey, want to play some catch? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking baseball and he's thinking football. Yeah. Like, that's a, a tragic miscommunication. Not really. Yeah, you bring your glove out like, and you look like an idiot. Oh, we live across the street. It's not the end of the world. I'll just not wear my glove. But, like, it's it's a it seems like him saying that, like, should be lauded as like a clever way of like solving this tiny dilemma we might have but it's not yeah. it's just dumb and that's what that's what this reminds me of even though they're not really related at all 
No, I like I like that because it's it the awkwardness of the phrasing <laughs> is just one of the many things that sticks is one of the many things that sticks out about this and makes yeah. it such a reviled term. Yeah, it's so weird to it does it doesn't feel right on the tongue. Like, uh, got to make a football move. Oh, okay. So here's my problem with this rule. It is so nebulous and ill-defined that that quite literally nobody knows what a football move is but the, what really irks me though is that that's obviously intentional like yes. you wouldn't call it a football move if you had a clear idea of what it was if you're the rule maker like they're intentionally leaving it to interpretation it feels like so here's my sympathy here's my sympathy for the term football move as i was thinking about fixes to this rule i realized that one of the one of the best fixes for this would be cataloging basically every scenario that could happen in a catch situation and saying whether this is a catch or not. Okay. And in that sense, broadening out all of those scenarios into football move, it makes some sense from for the sake of brevity, but it does not help with clarity. Call it a, like a forward move or like a, I guess it doesn't need to be a forward move. Okay. So here's my fix. We're getting... I'll introduce my, I'll explain my fix, which I think gets to the heart of why football move is dumb. Here's the standard I would like to apply. Have you noticed that what constitutes a catch in the end zone and what constitutes a catch in the middle of the field seem to be very different things? This is my fundamental problem with football move. If the ball is thrown to me and I'm in the end zone and I catch the ball, I get possession of the ball in my hands, and my feet touch the ground, basically nothing that happens after that matters. Assuming that it is not a, like, a real bang-bang play that somebody just strips the ball out of my hands, the the way that we interpret that is, I've got possession of the ball in my hands, and I've touched two feet down, and nothing happened in the immediate aftermath of that. Yeah. That is considered a touchdown, and that is not at all the way it is in the middle of the field. For some reason, we have higher expectations of a player in the middle of the field that they immediately run with the ball. That's or something actually happens. true, though, because like think about a scenario where someone on the two yard line like reaches for the end zone, and the tip of the ball gets over, and then like the only question we have whether or not that was a touchdown is whether or not the dude's knee was down before the ball crossed the plane. Whereas mm-hmm. if you reverse that play 20 yards and this is happening at the 15 yard line, like that's not a first down, right? If you just get the tip of the ball just past the first down pylon. It is a first down. Doesn't feel like we're analyzing it with that type of like, but you no, so you're right. But, but I think, I think the interesting thing is, the level of scrutiny is higher at the goal line well, than it is in the field of play, which is what which, you're describing. Yeah. Whereas it's the exact opposite in this scenario. You get away with shit in the end zone in this catch rule, this football move rule that you don't get away with in the field of play, which I think seems backwards. If anything, frankly, I think it should just be the same. So that's the standard I would like to apply is if this play happened in the end zone would we rule it a touchdown if i throw the ball to you and this thing happens in the middle of the field if we transported you to the end zone would we have called it a touchdown and if the answer is yes that's a catch i i mean if you put it to a vote i vote for it yeah so i think that that's i don't even think this requires necessarily a rule change so much as an emphasis change yeah but the emphasis is so bad and so ambiguous that it just it's 
causes so many freaking problems. <laughs> and it just sounds stupid, I think, is my biggest beef. Yeah, that's definitely a beef. All right, so clocking in at number two is a rule that I think you were alluding to earlier, which is, like, why is this why is this thing a rule? Which is the possession arrow in college basketball oh, versus I- the jump ball. So I thought this is what you were talking about, the distinction between the college and the pro rule. So in college basketball when there's a jump ball there's no jump ball yeah it's called a jump ball but there's no jump ball yeah there's this possession arrow which literally just alternates between team a and then team b and then team a and then team b there is no merit involved with this you could have a 10 foot tall guy who doesn't need to jump for the jump ball and you're not helped by that at all because there's no jump ball they do it at the opening tip See, the scenario that you've just described feels to me like the reason this rule exists because like, like in high school, like one team just had a really tall guy. So any jump ball yeah. would that team would win. And so they're like, well, we'll just give it we'll just alternate each time. But like, by the time we get to college, like we don't need to do this anymore. Right. Exactly. So this is another rule that I think it it comes from this misplaced sense that these college students are amateur athletes yeah and maybe this was true in 1950 whatever when they you know it was the hoosiers like yeah i i know that's a high school team but the point is i get i get the basis of this rule when it was created at this point do we really think that zion what's his name and the guy on the other team shouldn't just take a jump ball why does this exist anymore? the level of competition is such in college basketball, that the, if your team has a guy that's way taller, then like you just deserve to get the ball, right? Like exactly, because <laughs> you did a better job inducing them with your and it's not recruiting like, tactics. Like you get them. It's not like the jump ball is so dead even that they're like, "Why are we doing this? Let's just alternate." And it's nope. And it's also not like the jump ball results results in like a freakishly large amount of freak injuries. So like, nope. so it's not a safety concern. It's really just like, oh, let's just let everyone have the ball a little bit. Yeah. It, it feels no like, sense. it feels like, you know, who's going to have a field day with this podcast is Quinn. I, I yeah. shuddered. I think Quinn will enjoy this in one sense and eviscerate it in another sense. I can't wait to hear. Well, I'm terrified. I'm sure it's riddled with factual inaccuracies. Certainly. I, I have a feeling I've recollected a lot of these things incorrectly. I- <laughs> I think that we are unequivocally wrong on a lot of this, and I also think that our opinions on the things we're not clearly wrong on are also wrong. Probably. Those are probably things. But luckily, we have an asterisk in the name of our podcast, so we're good. Thanks, thanks, liability asterisk. Yes. All right, but number one is the dumbest rule in all of sports with just, there's no question. This is the attesting to your score in golf rule, which is that, after you have finished playing a round of golf, you have to sign your scorecard and you are responsible at this point. I believe it's a two stroke penalty for attesting to an incorrect scorecard. Now, this represents a major bit of progress from when this rule was even worse, which was that if you signed the scorecard incorrectly, you actually were disqualified. And on top of that, and this rule, this portion of the rule still exists. You were, re- I believe, 
You were, I think they may have actually just changed this, but you were responsible for any retroactively applied penalties that would then invalidate your score. So let's say. Oh my God. Yes. So let's say you attested to scoring a 67. And then after the round, somebody realized that you had illegally grounded your club on the fifth hole and you now actually had scored a 68. You would have been guilty of attesting to an incorrect scorecard and be disqualified. Even though no one caught it until after the round? Yes. Wow. This is, this was a, this was a scenario that could actually occur. And in 19, as I looked this up, because I needed to find a scenario where this, this like really cost somebody, because this came up, somebody lost a tournament last year on this. They attested to an incorrect scorecard and it was just a travesty. But in 1968, Roberto de Vicenzo was supposed to go to a playoff against Bob Golby in the Masters. The Masters. So a big golf tournament. A big golf tournament. And he accidentally attested to the incorrect score, was assessed a whatever it was at the time, some stroke penalty. His score was disc was invalidated, and he did not get to participate in the playoff. Lost to the Masters on this rule. That is, it feels like as bad as the Saints losing on Sunday, almost. Yes. Now, let me be very clear because I will be fact checked on this, and the rule has changed, and the penalty has become less severe, as I mentioned. Here's the question. Even if they have taken some intermediate steps towards making this less harsh, which they have, why does this rule exist? Now, I understand why this rule existed, which is that you have golfers all over a golf course playing all over the place. It would be infeasible in 1950-whatever to have you know, somebody watching all of them all the time. That's the problem with this rule is that it's it feels like it's just a thing that we're keeping around because it's a golf thing, yeah. right? But here's the thing, Kyle. If you're the like 79th best player on the PGA Tour, you are easily pulling down hundreds of thousands of dollars, more like millions of dollars in tour winnings in a year. Right. They could afford to staff appropriately at these tournaments. But much more importantly, they have a big freaking scoreboard that they're keeping in yeah. li- they're keeping it live. Right. So whatever the exact mechanism is by which they're keeping score on that live scoreboard, like you've got it. You're yeah, keeping like, score. Why do we need your a player to sign off on like a piece of paper? It doesn't that's a that's a silly rule. That would be like that would be like your team, like if you're an outfielder and you get caught sleeping and you start running off the field and there's only two outs, that would be yeah. like, that would be like your team gets an out because you thought there were two outs. Yeah, it's insane. Actually, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it would be kind of fun, but it, it's just it, this one, this one, there is no defense for it. And the egregiousness of the penalty is just so extreme. Yeah. That's and one thing that I, one thing that I, I have heard people point out, cause they've heard people complain about this rule before that I think is a very good point is with the advent of assholes watching these tournaments on TV and calling in penalties. Cause that's a thing in case you didn't know, Fuck like people watch the tournament and call it in. Go. Oh my God. The, the players whose holes are broadcast 
most frequently are the best players. So they're disproportionately being affected by yeah. this because like, you know, Kyle, the 77th or whatever number I said, yeah. best player on the, no court, one's watching me ground my club on the nope. fucking hole. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but poor, you know, Dustin Johnson, everybody sees every <laughs> blade of grass moving under his club. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's yeah. a dumbass rule. It is a dumb rule. I'm surprised that's the only golf rule we talked about. Yeah, the golf kind of, I think, falls generally into a similar category to baseball, which is its unwritten rules are the dumbest part. Yeah. And when, see, this is a case where it's basically an unwritten rule that's been committed to writing, and it looks much worse when written. Yeah. I have a bunch of <laughs> baseball rules, basically. <laughs> we'll just run through yeah, some baseball ones. Well, one, one football one. So... This one got brought up also on Sunday. I'm sure I'd be curious to get your take on it. The way the NFL overtime is structured is, to me, very stupid. Like, yeah, the fact that we didn't get to watch Patrick Mahomes touch a football in that overtime is silly. Like, the the Chiefs should have been given a chance to score a touchdown, right? Probably. I think probably. It's pretends pretend it's this just, is pretend this is Rams Chiefs. No, no. No, no, I know. It's probably. So I also saw a stat that the team that wins the toss actually only wins the game like 52% of the time in overtime. So I think that the the step that the NFL took to change this from what it used to be was a huge step because it used to be you could just kick a field goal, which yeah. is insane. That was so stupid. That shouldn't let this rule off the hook if it has problems. I just think that in practice, it actually works up to pretty close to a 50-50 split in who wins, which proves at least on some level that it's kind of working. That, okay, that's fine. I actually don't yeah. really care about the percentages. Like, I just think that it's in a, like the whole point again is for us to watch these two teams do battle. And if a team like this is i think in my in my opinion the worst case scenario a team comes back from like 20 points down to force overtime and by virtue of a coin flip they're not allowed to touch the ball that yeah like as a fan i'm just i'm disappointed in that result so i, I i'm kind of torn because i partially agree i do, i i think that there's logic in this issue like raising the the problem that a team doesn't get the ball Makes sense. Like, I, I do think that makes sense. But I think part of the reason that it feels this way is that teams are so afraid to take the chance and play this the way that actually is not a bad move, which is to defer and then have the easy route of kicking a field goal. The Pats pulled that move on the Broncos in a really famous back and forth game in if there's the 2012, 2013 season, I believe, where they ended up, the Pats deferred. And they get the ball back, kick, field goal, win. I think that people are so afraid of making that decision that we don't see this rule play out. We don't see the favorable way this plays out to the team that doesn't get the ball first. Where I think that that scenario really does exist. Yeah, I suppose. But... I I think that's a dumb one. I think you're probably right. The fix fix is easy enough, right? Just guarantee each team a possession. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's just... I, I just want to see like more football and it just, if that were my, if I were a cheese fan, I would be just, just sad, even though it's not really like a rules violation. I just bummed out. So another one kind of in the same vein as the one foot catch is the college three point line. It's, oh, it's a, yeah. it's a little different just because like 
in general, college players tend to be like a lot smaller than NBA players. But I don't know. You see guys play on like a three point, an NBA three point line. And like you can see it on the court at times and they seem to make it fine. So yeah. Now a bunch of baseball ones. So one, almost every sport has some kind of mechanism in place where overtime is resolved very quickly. <laughs> baseball has uh, no such rule. A baseball game, in theory, could last forever without any rule change. It almost did this past <laughs> fall. <laughs> yeah, what a game. Which, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> it leads to some, like, interesting stories, but, like, to any, for anyone to say that that game was fun would be lying. Like, that kind of sucked. There was a, there was a, whatever it was, six inning stretch where a actual superhero yeah. emerged from a phone booth and put together one of the greatest athletic displays I've seen in my career as a sports fan. That aside, and taking, and we have to really understand how unlikely it was for something like that to happen. That was garbage. Yeah. That was hot garbage. That was an insult to all Americans who were watching that game. It was insulting. It sucked. And I I know baseball has been talking about a scenario where in extra innings you start with a runner on second, Mm -hmm. which I think is an elegant and appropriate solution because it actually... Like, as, as kitschy as that is, like, we just, we can't have games that go 16, 17 innings because it actually dilutes the product of, dilutes the product in the remaining games you have in that week or on that homestand. Well, that's, that's the thing. The hangover effect is so real. I think, I think what you're, what you're getting at though is an interesting point and an important one. I was thinking about this with the NFL overtime rule. The gimmicky, the gimmicky piece is, it's hard to navigate making a good, quick overtime rule that doesn't feel gimmicky. And the NHL struggled with that for a while with like, do we go immediately to a shootout? Do we do a shootout after a period? But the now three they on do three this. is so perfect. Yep. It's great. They do. It's, it starts four on four and then it's three on three. And it's like a real, that's a great rule. And it's a little bit gimmicky, but it resolves itself. It's fun to watch. Well, and it doesn't feel like you're, Messing with the essence of the sport. It felt a lot gimmicky-er before they started doing it. And now it's like the best thing about the NHL. And to the point where now they do that three-on-three tournament. Like, it's it's an incredible rule, and I think baseball could do something. Put a runner on first, then. You know, like, whatever. What we were talking about earlier, in the MLB playoffs, you get two extra umpires down the line to judge fair and foul balls that are a little far away for the first or third-based umpires to see. Fine. Like, why are we not doing this? Like, baseball generates billions of dollars of revenue every year. Also, if we're going to have extra umpires to do this, can we get the call right? I remember the first year they did this, Joe Maurer uh, should have had a double at Yankee Stadium, and they called it foul, <laughs> even though the line judge is right there. Jesus, what does an ump make? Like, I, 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 I gotta f- think that it, <laughs> I gotta think that an, a major league ump is making like one hundred and fifty to two hundred grand. Joe West is probably making more, but I would think that like your average major league umpire is making somewhere in that range. I gotta think that they can hire an extra fifteen of those or sixteen of those guys. You would think somehow. I would think so. Feels like they got the budget, like an extra two million bucks. I don't know, billions of dollars, even with even with health care. Like I think (laughs) they can afford it. So there's that one. Yeah, I don't like 
how long baseball teams have to review a play before they decide they want to uh, officially challenge it. So mm. like you have like up to 15 seconds, I think, to do it, which means that you have time to like have someone run downstairs and watch the video and like do it for themselves before you alert the umpire. I believe I believe that a player should have to request it on the field. Oh, I like that. I think that that would really because you'll see a lot of times guys will say like review it like I know I was safe and usually they're right. Yeah. I just think that it like the process of like having someone watch it before they decide that they want to review it is stupid and yeah. it slows it down. I would love to see it given to the players. That is interesting, but I will say as a Patriots fan, the the corresponding situation in the NFL is such that we get a major advantage because we've got this crazy guru named Ernie Adams who is in charge of our challenges. And he is spending so much time like getting that video so quickly and then watching it and making a good decision that I don't know. I don't like the possible domino effect of this rule I think, finding its way into the NFL. I think what you've just said means that it for sure should be implemented, hopefully next season. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't, this one is already in the works. It's probably changing within the next year or two. I don't think you should be able to have as much time as you want between pitches. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. This is a travesty. <laughs> and, it, and the thing is, most guys do fine with it, but some guys do not, and it really makes baseball hard to watch. A sport that, like, desperately needs to be injected with something to make it more appealing. Like, can we just make guys not take 40 seconds between pitches? Can we do this? Yeah. We can. It's not that hard. Yes. They're working on it. It'll come. That one's coming. I would not rank it high because, like, the likelihood that it's changed is very high. One that I'm serious about and that we don't have time to actually debate here is not whether or not the DH is a good or a bad idea. But the the stupid rule is that the rule is different depending on where you play. Yes. What the fuck is this? It's completely unprecedented and has no place <laughs> in any sport. And it's not done at any level of the sport. It's like, it, it's such a strange, like if I had, like, if, let's say we didn't do this. And like, let's say there were DHs everywhere. Like the reverse argument is so silly. Like, if there were DHs from the beginning of time, and people were like, this is dumb, and I proposed to you, like, well, let's just only have the National League pitchers pitch. Like, what the fuck? No! Like, who, when did we decide that it was cool for one half of the sport to play with a certain set of rules, and not the other half? It creates weird, dumb matchups in the playoffs. It, and I, I fall on one side of this argument. I think it should be universalized. I like the DH. I think people that like the pitcher have a fair argument that it should be no DH. Yeah, but nobody has an argument that it should be different. No, it doesn't make... I'll give you I'll give you the argument, though. The argument is a historical one, which is that baseball, more so than any other league, actually keeps its leagues separate. Like, Used we'll to. Just, let's let's call them conferences just because it's easier because it goes across sports better. The two conferences, I think, I'd have to look. Maybe you correct me. I think that there is less interconference play in baseball than there is in any other sport. Certainly. Okay, so if we accept that premise, then we accept that the crossover is limited intentionally 
to preserve the distinctness between those two leagues. And if we accept that they play each other that little, then I think that that makes this a little bit more okay. The, the, the issue is if you reverse that logic, which I think is the real logic at this point, which is that they play each other so little because the rules are different. Well, yeah, well, that's definitely part of it because, like, well, we can't have them playing every day because then pitchers right. would be hitting is, all the time. Which is stupid. Right. That's so, also, so if you go in one direction or the other, it's a yeah. little bit more of like a cute historical quirk. If you go in the other direction, it's a stupid continuation. The historical precedent is that it used to be two completely different organizations. The, yeah. the American League was run by these people, and the National League was run by these people, and they said, wouldn't it be cool to prove who's better if we played at the end of the year? But now it's all one organization. And yeah. like now, it used to be, I don't know, five, six years ago, that there was even less interleague play. Like You might play yes. 10 interleague games in a year, which yeah. is such a small percentage of your total games that like this was you could swallow it a little easier. There's an interleague game happening, and it was like limited to like a few weeks in July. That was so. So this is part of why the romance of that was real. Yeah. Like, oh, it certainly was. was. Because, there was novelty there was, to it, it. Yes, because it really was that just like week or two weeks yep. in was July, right? You yep. said. Yeah, there was. I remember you'd be like, "Ooh, interleague plays coming up," and you'd you'd get a chance to see some player you never got to. But see now before. it's like, yeah, and now it's like the Tigers play. Like fucking, they play in Miami in April, and then in it's like an interleague series or two a month. Like it's no longer a novelty, and this to me, but it it doesn't feel like this is gaining traction. Like I don't see it changing until some pitcher like breaks his scrotum while try, like <laughs> sliding into a bag, you know, like whatever it is. So. <laughs> I would like to put the old Andy Bernard. Yeah, I would like to see this one on the actual list. I think it's one of the st- a stra- strangest and dumbest phenomenon in, in, uh, in sports. I, man, yeah, I think that's a. Th- I think you've made a, a good argument. So we we sure are getting long in the tooth here. <laughs> I would throw DH versus no DH on here. I like the way that you've ordered this. I would move the one foot catch higher because i think that the reasoning behind this rule is some of the stupidest among the rules on this list and like has and doesn't have very good like there's no like historical precedent or like ambiguousness that needs to be like sorted out um and the solution is so easy i think like for those reasons the one foot catch should probably move up but i I don't really want to argue too much about anything else Okay, I think um, I think on the off chance that I've totally fucked up the unlimited review timeline for NHL offsides, I want to be safe and pull that off the list. Okay, and then I think move everything back a spot from wherever we think the inconsistent DH rule should be, which is probably high. I would put the inconsistent DH rule up at like like in the in the three four region. Yeah, that's my inclination. I actually think it should go above football move. Yeah. Simply because football move is by its nature ambiguous and therefore sort of hard to argue against. Yeah. I would actually move football moves below the, the two minute, like the, uh, the half court NBA mo- rule. Yeah. <laughs> the only, so the only reason the football move, I think, so I agree, but I just want to 
make sure I give it the appropriate sure. reasoning. It's just, it's so impactful. Yeah. Like the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that Zach Ertz in the Super Bowl yeah. situation. No, nobody on the field or watching knew whether a Super Bowl play was a touchdown or even should be. Like there was clear yeah. video evidence of what happened, but nobody knew what happened. Right. So, but let's move it back. I think we go golf, possession, DH, inbounds football move and then what do you think about moving the one foot catch up to there yeah i'm down with that so then the one foot catch at six cleats yep ignore the ignore the football rule rain out rules in baseball and then pile on touchbacks it seems like what we've just taken close to 90 minutes to do is develop a a definitive top 10 list of stupid professional and collegiate sports rules I think we have, but I think I got so confused in the ranking that I'd like you to read the I will. list. Number 10, the pylon touchback rule in, a dumb the, one. in football. Number 9, baseball's inconsistent rainout rules. <laughs> was it a game or wasn't it? Does nine innings matter? No. Sometimes yes. No. <laughs> Sometimes yes. Uh, okay, number eight, the one where if you just ignore a football long enough, it goes away. <laughs> number seven, the fact that you can't customize your cleats in the NFL, and also baseball, I guess. Yeah. Number six, the fact that you only need to have one foot down to make a legit catch in college football. Number five, the, <laughs> the football move rule. What is a football move? We don't know. Nobody knows. Is Joe Flacco elite? <laughs> well, <laughs> number four, the NBA rule wherein you get the ball at half court if you call a timeout towards the end of a game. Number three, the completely indescribable rule wherein one half of the sport plays <laughs> by a completely different set of rules than the other. The DH. And an important rule. Yeah, not like... Yeah. Not like Like cleats. salary cap ramifications, yeah. on-field ramifications. The health of your players ramifications. Number two, the possession arrow in college basketball. No jumping! <laughs> and number, Shall not jump. And number one, wherein a player must attest to his own score in golf, despite all the ways that we track scores separately. <laughs> All right, K-Dog, thank you. That was a fun one. Very, very, very. And a long one. Yes. Thank you, Michael.